I am Leslie Moody, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week we're continuing with the historical mentor series, and I want to highlight just moments from four inspiring women's lives. These are all women that I featured in past episodes, but I just want to highlight certain things about them that have just blessed me and stayed with me through the years. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that we have some great Christmas specials available at setapart.org. We have magazine bundles and book bundles, Bible study bundles, online courses that are being offered at a significant discount. And it's a great opportunity to look at ways that you can bless the women in your life with really meaningful gifts that will lead them closer to Christ. So those specials are available until December 15th. You can click the links on this podcast description or just go to setapart.org and click on shop to learn about what we have available right now. Let's take a look at these four inspiring women. And they are Corey Ten Boom, Darlene Dibler, Amy Carmichael, and Mary Slusser. I've done episodes on these women before. I've written articles about them. I quote them a lot. I just thought it would be really fun as part of this historical mentor series to highlight just specific stories that I always think back to when I think of these women. And the one I think of probably the most with Corey Ten Boom is her refreshing humility. And I referenced in the last episode this time when she was in a South American country and she was at a very late night church service and she was struggling with selfishness. So I want to just kind of unpack that story for you because it is so relatable and so beautiful to see what God did. She was very tired and in the South American culture where she was visiting, nobody was in a hurry to get this service started. So it was late at night by the time they actually started. It was like a youth service. It was a hot room, no air conditioning. There were bugs, really huge bugs flying all over them, probably cockroaches landing in people's hair and there were kids climbing over the seats and the whole atmosphere was totally chaotic and she talked about being up on the stage getting ready to speak and this man started beating a drum he was part of like the music or whatever and he was just vigorously beating this drum and was just making her head ring and then she shared a little bit and then this other missionary got up to share and he was just droning on and on showing these really boring slides of pill bottles that people had sent to him because he was doing medical work on the mission field and she just talked about about like, oh Lord, just get me out of here. I just want to go to bed. And that's all she can think about. And then at the end of the service, all of these young people were on their faces coming up, wanting to give their lives to Christ. And she actually had the thought, oh Lord, I hope no one comes forward. And that actually stopped her short where she recognized, wow, my ego has gotten in the way of me actually caring for the souls of these people. And she repented and she was very just sorrowful over the selfishness that she had allowed to creep in. The next day she was invited to speak at this really beautiful wealthy church filled with well-dressed respectable people and she saw this bulletin that they had printed about her coming to speak and it said Corey Ten Boom is a most popular world evangelist she is tireless and completely selfless in her absolute dedication to the cause of the gospel and she immediately felt ashamed just the previous evening while she was speaking at that youth event she had fought that incredible battle with selfishness the service was long and tedious she wanted to get home to her bed she didn't want these people to even come forward. And so she started to struggle, Lord, if only these people in this wealthy church knew who the real Corey Ten Boom is, they would not even want to hear me speak today. 
And then right away, she felt God speak to her heart, tell them, tell them about this struggle. And she feared their rejection. And so she hesitated. But God said to her very clearly, can I bless a lie? So she decided she was going to obey no matter how they responded to her. So she stepped onto the platform and addressed the congregation. She read from the parish paper what they had said about her. And then she looked up and said, sometimes I get a headache from the halo that people put around my head. Do you want to know what the real Corey Ten Boom is like? So then she told them about her struggle with selfishness from the night before. And she said, that was Corey Ten Boom. What egotism, what selfishness, but the joy is that Corey Ten Boom knew what to do with her sin. When I confessed those sins to Jesus Christ, he washed them in his blood. Corey Ten Boom is lazy, selfish, and filled with ego. But Jesus in Cory Ten Boom is just the opposite of all these things. Now, those words had such a tremendous impact on her listeners. And she later said, instead of a beautiful church with prominent members and a popular world evangelist, we were all sinners who knew that Jesus died to lift us out of the vicious circle of ego into the light of his love. God had blessed the truth. I love that refreshing example of humility because she's so transparent, but she's also very honest, not only about her own struggle, but about the victory she found in Jesus. And so she didn't just leave people with this sort of be raw and real message. She left them with the hope that even if they were struggling with sins of their own, whether it was selfishness or something else, there was victory in Jesus. So she was very humble, and I don't feel that the message would have been communicated that day without that kind of humility and yet also walking in victory. So I think back to that story a lot as I'm navigating my own walk with Christ, communicating truth with others, just the importance of transparency and humility coupled with that victory, that faith in what Jesus can do to turn the whole situation around when we bring our sin to him. Next is Darlene Dibler. And what stands out to me is Darlene's incredible intimacy with Jesus. She has a heart-wrenching story of being captured as a prisoner of war by the Japanese in the Second World War. She was a young missionary. She was ruthlessly separated from her husband and put into a concentration camp, and she found out that her husband had died in his concentration camp. She was suffering. She was sick. And then she was accused of being an American spy and put into death row in a Japanese Kempeitai prison. And so she talks about, in a message that I heard her share once, about being shoved into the cell, this tiny little cell on death row. And above her cell hung a sign that said, this person must die. And she knew that when the guard did a complete revolution with the key to lock her in her cell, she was completely cut off from the world and she was locked in death row, but she talked about how she was singing this song about the nearness of God. She didn't fight against the bars because she felt such a clear sense of the presence of God, such an intimacy and a nearness to Jesus in her darkest hour. And then in her book, she talks about a time on death row. She was wasting away from disease. She was starving. She was being tortured regularly. She was waiting to die. And what her lifeline was, was feeling that very clear sense of the presence of God. But then she went through an experience where she did not feel his presence in the same way. And how she walked through that has been a very important lesson for me. And here's a little excerpt from her book. Quite suddenly and unexpectedly, I felt enveloped in a spiritual vacuum. Lord, where have you gone? What have I said or done to grieve you? Why have you withdrawn your presence from me? 
oh father. In a panic, I jumped to my feet, my heart frantically searching for a hidden sin, a careless thought, any reason why my Lord should have withdrawn his presence from me. My prayers, my expressions of worship seemed to go no further than the ceiling. I sank to the floor and quietly and purposely began to search the scriptures in my heart. I was aware that if I had unconfessed sin in my heart, he would not hear me. I knew of no unconfessed sin. I didn't 1 John 3.21 state that if our hearts do not condemn us, that we have confidence toward God. My heart did not condemn me, and my confidence was in the person of my Lord who never lies, who is faithful to his word. I quoted Numbers 23.29, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not said, and shall he not do it? And then her prayer was this, Lord, I believe all the Bible says, I do walk by faith and not by sight. I do not need to feel you near because your word says you will never leave me or forsake me. Lord, I confirm my faith. I believe. The words of Hebrews 11.1 welled up unbeckoned in my mind. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence not seen, that was what I put my trust in, not in moments of ecstasy, but in the unchanging person of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, I realized I was singing, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is seeking sand. I was assured that my faith rested not on feelings, not on moments of ecstasy, but on the person of my matchless, changeless Savior, in whom there is no shadow of turning." What an important reminder that has been for me through the years when I have felt like I'm going through a dry season spiritually, I don't feel a lot of emotion when I go into the presence of God, or I don't feel his nearness, or I wonder if he's even hearing my prayers. I go back to that reminder that faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's not in moments of ecstasy. It's not those mountaintop experience. It's on the person of our matchless, changeless Savior in whom there is no shadow of turning. Emotions come and go but he never changes. And her story has been just a great reminder to me over the years of that important truth. And then there's Amy Carmichael, and I think of her incredible sacrificial love. From the time that Amy first began working with poor factory girls in Ireland, and then later in England, she didn't just tell the poor or the needy about God's love, she demonstrated his love to them. When she was still in England, she was a young single woman from an upper-class wealthy family, but she chose to live in the slums among the Shawleys so that she could truly empathize with the daily struggles they faced. She slept in a rat-infested building. She wore the same clothes as the Shawleys. She lived on the same meager food rations that they ate. She knew she couldn't tell these destitute young women that God could give them peace and joy in the midst of their circumstances unless she was willing to prove it true in her own life. And that is just amazing to me. When she arrived in India years later, she had no desire to be pampered and comfortable like so many other English people who lived there at the time. It caused other missionaries to dislike her, but she chose to live and work among the Indian people in a truly self-sacrificing way. Often she would camp by the side of the road and she would travel in this rickety bullet cart in the heat of the day. And when sick children came to her, she nursed them around the clock, sometimes for weeks or months at a time. She risked her life numerous times in order to save children from being captured as slaves. She didn't just run an orphanage with scores of children that she kind of oversaw saw, she cared for them as individuals, as if they were her own, and she called them her family. Their spiritual growth was just as important to her as their physical well-being, and she personally invested into them, taught them, discipled them, nursed them, poured herself out for them day and night, and she risked even going to jail for some of them to fight for them who were in really dangerous home situations. 
She did not protect her own comforts. She was willing to receive wounds and be misunderstood and be mistreated for the sake of Christ. She once wrote this, it is so fatally easy to forget that we are not just here to enjoy life and live pleasantly without stabs and rending griefs that leave scars, but that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Another way that she embraced sacrificial love was by joyfully accepting the life of singleness that God called her to. When she first arrived on the mission field, she felt really lonely and she longed for a husband and children. And that desire continued to grow until she knew she needed to get alone with God and pray about it. She went to a cave. She spent the day pouring out her heart to him. And she felt him clearly speak to her heart that she was not to marry, but also she was given a promise that as she put her trust in him, she would never be desolate. She would never be isolated. From that point forward, she gladly embraced her calling to singleness and she gave herself entirely to the work that God had called her to. True to his promise, she was never ever lonely. Hundreds of Indian children called her Ama, which means mother, and so many precious Indian women called her beloved sister. Her joyful self-sacrifice stands out in such contrast to that pleasure-seeking self-comfort life that so many of us give into today. And I feel like her words in the poem, make me thy fuel, O flame of God. It so perfectly enunciates the sacrificial life that we are called to. And it reminds me not to stop short of a completely poured out life. It reminds me that no sacrifice is too great for the one who gave everything for us. From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee, from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus our spirits fortified, not thus went the way of the crucified, from all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope that no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. And then there is Mary Slusser. I've told this story before, but I always think about this when I'm faced with a situation that I'm tempted towards fear or anxiety. She went into a very remote tribe in Africa where other missionaries wouldn't go. It was just steeped in superstition and fear-based tactics to control the people. And she was an outsider. She could easily have been captured. Women were very much looked down upon in that culture. There was one moment where a woman was about to be scalded to death because of some infraction of the tribal rules. The whole village had gathered and there was this sort of warrior tribal guy decked out in all his feathers and face paint. And he had this ladle of really hot boiling oil. He had a whole cauldron of it. And he was about to ladle this over this woman who was just tied up on the ground screaming. And Mary went straight for this woman and stood between this tribal warrior and this woman and sort of daring him to say, if you're going to kill her, you have to get through me first. And he was so shocked because nobody had ever dared to stand up against the witchcraft of the tribe or the intimidation tactics that these warriors used. And she was just staring him down like, I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. And he came closer and closer and closer. And he kept threatening to throw that ladle full of hot oil right in her face. And she did not flinch. She did not budge. She locked eyes with him. And he came so close that their faces were almost touching. And finally, he didn't know what to do with her resolve, with her courage. So he threw his ladle down in disgust and walked away. 
And everyone was so shocked that there was a power, a courage more powerful than the tribal traditions of intimidation and fear that they began to say, is there some truth to what this woman is saying? Is there a better way than these superstitious ideas that we've been believing? And that is what brought the inroads for the gospel to those people. And just that courage, and it's the courage that we cannot possibly muster up in and of ourselves. She fully yielded her life to Jesus Christ, and she let him show his courage in and through her. I'm sure on the inside, she was trembling, but on the outside, she was reflecting this rock solid resolve that God had given her, that command to be strong and courageous. She was living that out in that moment through his grace, through his strength and not her own. And that reminds me that when I'm faced with a situation where I'm tempted to fear and anxiety, there is a supernatural courage that I can embrace, that I can yield to if I'm willing to let him be strong in and through me and replace my fear with courage. So those are four highlights of some amazing, inspiring women in history. There are so many other dimensions to these women's lives. If you haven't read their books or studied their lives, I'd highly encourage you to do so. But those are just four life lessons. The idea of childlike, refreshing humility, intimacy with Jesus and trusting him even when we don't feel a lot of great emotion, sacrificial love, and supernatural courage that can only come from God. And those are qualities, those are principles that God can work in each and every one of us. As we said in the last episode, we don't focus on the individual lives and what they accomplished, but what God did in and through them. And we all serve the same God. He can do the same miracles in and through us when we yield to him. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life for Christ, I encourage you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.